Welcome to the September 2022 episode of RCV Clips, our podcast about all things ranked choice voting. I'm Rosemary Blizzard, a member of the Resource Center staff. In today's episode, I will be talking with Chris Hughes and Ryan Kirby, our policy director and public policy specialist, about the RCV Reports webinar that we just recently held. Chris and Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Things at the Resource Center have been crazy busy the last couple of months. Uh, I'm not sure where summer went, but it's out of here. Uh, our policy department, you guys in particular, have been exceptionally busy. Can you talk a little bit about what's coming out and and what our listeners should be uh, looking for as they peruse these materials? Yeah. So we just last week published uh, a bunch of reports. I've variously called it like our fall flood or uh, I know our, our webinar about it last week was results, recounts and audits. Oh, my. You know, we've got we're covering a lot of ground in these reports. So what we've done is we've uh, done a lot of research, both Ryan and I at the Resource Center and in partnership with uh, Fair Vote and with uh students at Harvard's Equal Democracy Project at the Harvard Law School have done a a lot of research into recounts of ranked choice voting elections, into results of ranked choice voting elections, the timelines for how they get reported, how the information gets displayed, uh, post-election audits of ranked choice voting elections, and ballot design of ranked choice voting elections. So how ballots get designed and how voters actually interact with those ballots, how they use them, how they mark their ballots. So that's what these reports are covering. They're trying to cover, (laughs) I mean, they cover a little bit of everything. They cover how voters are marking ballots. They cover how you actually tell voters what happened in an election. They're describing how to hold a a successful ranked choice voting recount if it comes to that. And uh, the audits report goes into detail in how risk limiting audits of ranked choice voting elections work. So what we've tried to do is just give people a comprehensive understanding of what these policies are, what these practices look like on the ground in ranked choice voting jurisdictions, and what administrators who are running ranked choice voting elections now, or who may be looking at running a ranked choice voting election, what they can do to make sure that their implementations are successful. What best practices can they adopt? Um, what are they already doing well? Just so they can take a look at their practices and see what what's working and, and what they could update. Yeah, that actually does sound pretty fascinating. Um, as a former administrator, you know, one of the things we're all aware of is every jurisdiction does things a little bit differently, either by design or, or by actual legislation. But I think having something like these reports where you've got these topics in sort of a boiled down presentation of what it is gives administrators a place to start. So, Ryan, uh, you mentioned during the webinar that you interviewed election officials and candidates that participated in the various recounts that these reports are covering. Can you tell us a little bit more about the processes or or what you learned from talking to these administrators? Yeah, I think we, Chris and I both agree that that was going to be a pretty important part of some of these reports, um, particularly for the recounts report, because from what we were researching, there was no real history of all the ranked choice voting recounts that had been conducted. And so we wanted to try and get some of the knowledge that existed from those who were actually participating in those recounts, from those who were actually conducting those ranked choice voting recounts, and those from the candidate side as well, who were going to be participating in the uh, 
that kind of election. So uh, we wanted to try and get some of that information and, and record it as part of a report. And that also informed some of our best practices because we could get some of the information that they liked or disliked about what their um, processes were in that jurisdiction. Yeah, I really like the idea of recording this for, for posterity and for research purposes. Having this record of, of what happened is going to really help a lot of the people who are sort of on the fence about it understand that, you know, it's a legitimate method. So we during the webinar, we had quite a few questions from our audience. And I thought what one of the ways we could structure this particular episode is to feed some of those questions uh, to you guys directly. And, and I'll get started with those. Um, the first one is about post-election audits of ranked choice voting. So for ballot comparison, risk limiting audit, you still just check the votes on the physical ballot against the votes in the CVR, the cast vote record. Or is it more sophisticated than that? So I'll, I'll break this question down first because it's a pretty technical question. Essentially what it's asking or what it's getting at is there's a couple different ways you can actually run a risk limiting audit, which for listeners out there who don't know what it is, a risk limiting audit is a statistical post-election audit um, that takes data from your voting machines and compares it against the paper ballots as cast on those voting machines on those computerized voting tabulation systems to check that the paper ballot was properly counted by the voting system. Um, a ballot comparison audit will actually directly compare an individual piece of paper to a line of data exported from the voting system. It's looking exactly at how a very specific ballot that was cast, how the voting system recorded that data. There's another form of audit called a ballot polling audit that can't do that one-to-one -one comparison, but still serves as a check on tabulation. You review a lot of paper ballots, you check that the results are confirmed. By just reviewing paper ballots, a ballot comparison compares paper directly to digital records. Um, so, so what this question is asking is, when you're doing that ballot comparison, when you're comparing the paper ballot to the digital record, how do you do that in a ranked choice voting election? And the answer is actually very simple. It's exactly like you would do it in any other risk limiting audit. Um, all you need to do is have your ranked ordered ballot. You know, voters maybe were able to rank three candidates, four candidates, however many candidates they could rank. And you check that, that ranking order. If a voter ranked candidates one, two, three, and four, that exact same ranking order, they ranked candidate one first, candidate two second, and so on. You check that the digital record uh, captured that same information, that candidate one is ranked first in the data, candidate two is ranked second. That's how you do a comparison audit at the very, at the ballot level. Um, so that's, that's the answer to that question. It's functionally the same. You know, it's a little different because you actually have to compare each ranking instead of just how, you know, one vote was cast in a plurality or like a, a traditional uh, vote for one election, but that's the only real difference. Everything else is is the same for the voter or for the auditor, I should say. I'm glad to hear that because a lot of times we get questions or concerns about how difficult it might be for uh, the the natural practices of wrapping up an election, auditing after you know all the votes and and whatnot are in. Um, but it sounds like you know with with just some minor adjustments in how you approach the ballots that the auditing process is not really any different. Right. Like a lot of the hard work in risk limiting audits research for ranked choice voting is in the math and in how the software takes in the data the auditor puts in. 
But that's all been done now for for single winner ranked choice voting elections, which the webinar and the report get into. Um, so the the real the hard part overall for the auditor or the administrator is just setting up a risk limiting audit. If they've not run a risk limiting audit before, that's generally sort of time consuming. There's a lot of pieces you need in place for it to run effectively, whether you're auditing ranked choice voting or plurality elections. Uh, and but luckily, like you said, at the end of the day, the actual auditing process of checking what the paper ballots say and checking the digital record is pretty straightforward. So, Chris, thanks for that explanation. Um, it, one of the things that kind of comes to mind is, you know, when people are trying to discern how a ranked choice voting election is going to be tabulated. And and we do see a lot of focus on that post-election round-by-round count, which is certainly important. And and I think in the, the results reporting report that's coming out, that that's addressed. But one of the things that I'm not hearing from people is sort of attention to how the rules, uh, whether they're using their own voting system or whether they're using RCTAB, but how those rules are set up. And so that uh, we know how the votes are being tabulated, how the system is being told to look at the ballot and interpret it. Uh, can you speak a little bit about, you know, the importance of identifying those those steps? And maybe that's a, a way to, to sort of direct people towards, you know, it's really not a lot of complicated math. It's more or less understanding how the machine and the, the voting equipment, how the voting equipment is interpreting the ballot. Yeah. So there's sort of like two chunks of rules that you'll need to define for ranked choice voting. One is voter error or or ballot intent, how voters use the ballot and any mistakes they may have made. Ranked choice voting introduces two new possible types of voter error. Normally, voters can just overvote. They can vote for too many people in a contest and that will cause their ballot to uh, to not count in that contest because we don't know who they wanted to vote for. You can still do that in ranked choice voting. You can rank too many people at a ranking, but you might also skip rankings or you might uh, rank the same candidate multiple times in a row. Um, And that raises additional questions as to how, when you're counting ballots, if you're transferring votes from candidate to candidate, how you handle any instances where a voter skipped rankings or repeatedly ranked the same candidate. This is stuff that's normally that should be defined in law in your statute when you've adopted ranked choice voting, but it's also obviously something that your voting system needs to be designed to handle. Um, so RCTAB, our counting software, Dominion's uh, ranked choice voting counting software, ESNS's counting software, they all have uh, rules incorporated into them that say, hey, if you run into an overvote, if you run into a skipped ranking when you're counting, the rounds of counting, this is how to handle that system. And it <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not being too specific because it varies a lot. Different jurisdictions have taken different approaches. Um, but that's why we with RCTAB, we've tried to be very flexible in incorporating all the different rules that exist. Um, the other stuff that exists is in proportional range choice voting. There's math around how you transfer surplus votes. If a candidate has more votes than they need, how do you transfer those votes? Do you transfer whole ballots? Do you transfer a proportional share of every vote. Um, these are all math questions, again, that need to get resolved in law and in statute, but then also need to be effectively implemented in your voting systems. And that's all. this is all stuff also that an effective audit checks on the back end. It makes sure, you know, all these uh, different rules and algorithms were properly implemented. Not to mention the fact that before you can even get used in, a, in an election, 
Voting systems need to get tested by voting system test labs. They go through additional testing by election administrators in the lead up immediately before election day to make sure that those systems are still capturing votes accurately and counting votes accurately. Um, so that that should give people a, a good understanding of the sorts of things you need to think about when you're designing ranked choice voting systems, both in law and in software. Awesome. Thank you for humoring me with that deviation on the question, uh, sort of back towards the front end of the elections process. Um, one of the things that, you know, I truly, and this is a personal opinion of mine, you know, you're, a lot of folks tend to think of audits as let's just check and see that the machines are working and that the ballots are being counted correctly. And that is certainly by far one of the, the biggest things that an audit should accomplish. But I also like to think that an audit is actually you know, a good test of your election policies and your election practices and, and lends itself to making sure that the, the administrators, and, and most of them certainly are, you know, lend some credibility to their work, and which I think goes a long way in, in getting us away from you know, questioning the outcomes. You know, th this work is, is very important and it's being done well. And I like to see audits be used to confirm that. So we're going to move on to the next question. This is going to involve recounts. So many states have mandatory recount laws that trigger when a winner of an election is determined within a certain percentage. So if the vote totals are close enough, uh, the law may trigger a recount or mandatory recount. Would you recommend that concept also apply for individual RCV round calculations? Sort of, for example, you know, the difference between the candidate getting eliminated in any of the given rounds uh, and the next candidate is only 0.25%. Should that trigger a mandatory recount within the round by round counting? Yeah, that was a really good question that we got during the webinar. And it's actually something that Chris and I had a bit of a conversation about during our research. Um, we, you know, we looked at a wide variety of the different recount laws and uh, there de definitely tended to be a trend when there was an automatic recount to be around 0.1 or 0.25%. Um, but that was one of the areas that we had for further research um, when it came to recounts the between margin or between rounds um, for looking at that margin. Um, and it's definitely something that might be constrained by what the state law is. Um, some jurisdictions may limit it to just the final round. Um, that's the only one that can be recounted. And some may limit it to just one round. Um, and others may say it has to be a full round by round recount anyways. Um, but that's definitely something that we looked at. Um, we had some conversations about, and that's one area that definitely needs to be researched further. Okay. So that's, you know, with so many other things in election administration, it, it varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And, and certainly if there are any strong feelings or questions about it, it's, it's worth it to ask those questions on the front end of the elections process rather than when we're in the middle of tabulating, I think. Yeah, definitely. That is definitely something you want to have decided well in advance, and it'll usually be in statute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always you, you hear the expression a lot of times when it, where it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is permission. And I'm usually the first one to say, but not in election administration. I was sort of curious, too, when it got asked during the webinar, I was like, you know what? I hadn't thought about it, but you know, that makes perfect sense to ask the question. So thank you. Um, so moving on. Um, how do existing RCV jurisdictions secure the secrecy of the vote during audits and recounts? And that's a big, important thing for a lot of folks is making sure their ballot remains secure and, and secret as much as possible. 
Yeah, it is. It's such an important question. And it's one we we get a lot just when we're talking about how ranked choice voting changes elections policies generally. The thing is, ranked choice voting doesn't radically change how you have to handle election material. Uh, there's a lot of sort of standard practices in elections offices around chain of custody, of tracking, you know, how ballots and other election materials uh, change hands and how you track that information um, and how you just keep that whole process secure that are all practices that can be adopted to the changes necessary for ranked choice voting. On the vote secrecy side of things, the big, big change is that you need access to what's called a cast vote record. It's a digital record of how every voter voted in the contest, showing how each voter ranked candidates in order of preference on their ballot. And every jurisdiction we've spoken to about this question says they use their standard chain of custody procedures for handling that data. So that's the major thing here is, you know, use the standard practices and procedures you already have in place for handling sensitive election material for your ranked choice voting material. There's nothing revolutionary about what you need to do to secure that secrecy. I'd say one other thing, though, that we've noticed in ranked choice voting jurisdictions that's interesting and that Ryan sort of hinted at in his last answer is we've seen generally that ranked choice voting jurisdictions are both adapting their security policies to ranked choice voting and providing an additional level of transparency after their election into the election data they have. They'll publish the cast vote record data so people the public can inspect it and review it and make sure that, you know, it uh, holds up to additional scrutiny. scrutiny. They'll um, do additional work to publicize ranked choice voting results more than they would normally do for a non-ranked choice voting election. So there's there's been an interesting um, evolution in these places of providing, of being really secure while also providing transparency, which is, you know, meant to help the public themselves feel more secure that, they can review this material that the elections offices is confident in in all this data, in the material they used for ranked choice voting, um, which provides an additional level of providing that additional transparency also provides an additional level of security because that way, if people are out here spreading misinformation, malinformation, you can point and say, hey, this is actually the original data, the original information that we published for our election and we stand by it. Thanks, Chris. And at risk of, of- stating the obvious, uh, the cast vote records that I've worked with, and, and I believe this is the standard across all cast vote record configurations, is, you know, there are no voter names or clearly identifying information that would indicate that this is my ballot versus yours and, and so on and so forth. So just as a reassurance to any listeners who may be wondering, you know, cast vote records can be inspected. They can be, obviously, but they certainly do not lend themselves to clearly identifying the voter that actually cast that particular ballot. So just wanted to point that out there. And I think we've touched on this next question a little bit. So maybe this will just be a good way to summarize you know, sort of what we've already talked about. But one of the questions that we received were, how do these reports handle the wide variety of election policies across the United States? Yeah, this is a question that we have to ask ourselves internally when we're handling a wide variety of different issues. Um, and I know we, we joke around and we, we say we're going to make a t-shirt out of uh, 50 states, 50 ways plus DC. 
Um, and that is uh, definitely true when it comes to all sorts of election policy. So one of the ways that the reports try to handle this is we try to ask questions. Um, we provide some general recommendations, but we always try to provide some questions for an election administrator or an advocate to kind of consider. Um, check with your state policy or your local policy um, about this piece of, uh, of regulation or anything like that so that you have an area to go to. Um, it provides kind of an action item and uh, we provide some uh, case studies as to what other jurisdictions have done. And then you can see kind of pick and choose what fits for your jurisdiction and what might work well. What, you know, what resources do you have available to you? Because, you know, comparing to a San Francisco or New York City, which have uh, a lot of resources available to them, might be a little bit more or difficult for a smaller jurisdiction. So we also try to provide um, a wide variety of case studies that you can kind of pick and choose from geographically and size and um, that as well so that you could uh, pull from what, what you what works for you. That's perfect. And, and I'm looking forward to finally getting our T-shirts because not with just elections, but working with the uh, admit the business side of our organization. Uh, it's also true for a lot of other areas that there's just each state tends to do things just a little bit differently. Uh, it's neither good nor bad. It just is. We've got one more policy question, and then we'll we'll finish out with one of our usual questions for our episodes. Um, so on a final note, policy question, what is one piece of actionable advice that you would give to our listeners or any elections administrators that may be out there following our podcast that we encourage people to subscribe to? Uh, Chris, you want to go first on that one? So this is related to the results reporting stuff. I think the most actionable thing on results reporting is try to use a tool like RCViz or get a tool like RCViz.com developed. What we saw over and over again is elections officials were providing ranked choice voting results in data and being really transparent about it, but they weren't always doing the best job of visualizing those results, of explaining to voters, here's what happened in round one, here's what happened in round two, two here's why the person who wound up winning won. Um, and that's the goal of tools like RCViz uh, and the work that the Center for Civic Design did on results best practicing is to make it make the information necessary to understand a ranked choice voting election a little bit more digestible. So that's that's my big number one recommendation. Thanks, Chris. Um, I can add a little bit to that. Um, I remember when I first started working in elections, we were uh, basically passing out papers from the co from the copy machine when results would come in, and which meant we would have a lot of people in our office. And as we're trying to bring uh, precincts and, and poll results in, we were having to stop and, and make more copies of results and things. And and I remember uh, in the it was in the early two thousands when we the state actually brought in a, a software company that could do results visualizations. And this is plurality uh, election method, of course, but same point to your uh, with RCVs is when we could finally go online um, with something that did not require people to stand in our office and hope we had made enough copies. And, and it really just made our processes behind the scenes on election night of getting everybody in and, and everything secure so much easier. So I 100% agree with your advice on that one. Ryan, do you have a piece of advice having gone through this process of creating these reports? 
Yeah, one of the things that I would recommend um, is to, to try and increase transparency wherever possible. Um, and that is kind of, you know, especially important just generally, but it, especially with our um, current political environment and some of the, the questions that election administrators have been getting, um, whenever possible, take advantage of some of the resources that you have with your jurisdiction and, and place some of that information online. Um, that could be everything from how you determine voter intents to training materials for some of your staffers or anything like that, um, to whatever procedures you're planning to use for an upcoming recount or an audit or anything. Um, it's both helpful to inoculate some of the questions. You hopefully also don't have to get as many questions asking for materials, um, but it's also a good reminder to make sure you keep those updated. Um, you know, year to year, you can have uh, different election equipment change or different statutes change. So. You want to make them transparent and available to the public, but you also want to uh, make sure you keep them updated as well. Also excellent advice. And we do tend as administrators to get into a little bit of rinse and repeat and the advice to keep things transparent as well as updated is, is certainly welcome. Thank you. Um, so one of the things that we like to do as we wrap up these episodes and, and certainly before we get to the very last question, thank you both Chris and Ryan for being with me today and, and walking through these reports, I'm super excited to see them get uh, released to the world and hope that they provide some not only new information for jurisdictions out there who may be implementing RCV, but maybe some reassurance that it's not particularly complicated. It's not going to require them to completely rewrite their policies and procedures Um so we're looking forward and certainly uh, on behalf of the organization, we, we hope they help. And that's our goal with anything we produce. So the last question before we wrap things up, in three words or less, how would you describe each of these reports? Ryan, I'll start with you on this one. Um, I would say accessible, digestible, um, and uh, resourceful. Um, and I, I picked those because the while it can be somewhat complicated election policy, um, we, we really try to frame these reports in a way that you can kind of pick and choose as needed. Um, some of them can be kind of long and in the weeds, but I think that when you're able to kind of pick and choose and jump around to the areas that fit what you're looking for, um, I think that they're really helpful. Thank you, Ryan. Chris, how about you? Those are really good words. <laughs> um, mine... The only one I'm thinking of, because Ryan already gave a good answer, is a joke answer, and it's lots of words. Uh, I think, like Ryan said, we try to make these really approachable, but inevitably they do dive deep into the weeds of some of these issues. But I hope that, despite their length, um, people still find them useful and take the time to read through them, because I do think they provide a really valuable foundation for understanding what are some of the just the more complicated policy areas in elections period and ranked choice voting just adds another layer to that complication it makes it i think more interesting to learn about and read about but it of course you know takes a little bit more energy and time to do the research and i just hope people find can take the time to read it and can find something valuable in these reports because we we worked really hard to make sure that they were something people could actually make use of when they're running elections or for advocates when they're talking to people about how ranked choice voting works and what what makes it still a trustworthy system, what makes it still good for voters to use. 
Thanks, Chris. I, uh, like Chris, don't have, you know, very three specific words because Ryan gave an, an excellent answer. But I, I just want to say that having read these reports, I really think if nothing else, I hope it lets the readers and users of these reports realize that, you know, their election processes are, are incredibly thought out and extremely purposeful. We get a lot of flack as administrators for, oh, you only work two or three days. How can this be hard? It actually is, uh, it, it is a rewarding, uh, but very hard job sometimes because we are juggling what may seem to be common sense and what may actually be law and vice versa. So um, I really hope these reports, I loved how they showcased the, all the different parts and moving parts and pieces that election administrators have to deal with when it comes to results and audits and, and recounts and just lets uh, readers know that you know, it's a very intentional job that administrators do. And, and, and certainly it's not something that should be taken lightly or assumed that it's being taken lightly by administrators. They work very hard at what they do. Um, so guys, thank you both for being with me today and, and talking about these reports. Super excited about them. Uh, they are available on our website and certainly we'll be promoting them. And if we can uh, answer any, any more questions, we'll be happy to do so. Uh, thank you again for both of you for being here today. Any last comments? Uh, go read the reports. Yes, go read the reports. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks to the election administrators and everything who, and everyone who talked to us to help us create these. Absolutely. Thank you. And for now, for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, useful tidbit, or just something we thought was cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's Kelly Sechrist with this month's final round. Since 2000, there have been 496 ranked choice voting elections in the U.S., of the 496 contests, only 13 required a recount, about 2.6% of RCV races over the last 22 years. 11 of the recounts were local races and two were statewide races in Maine and North Carolina. 2021 was a busy year for RCV recounts, however, with six of the 13 recounts occurring in that year. Minneapolis, Minnesota and Portland, Maine each had one recount, while Utah and New York City both had two recounts. Recounts are a normal business as usual part of elections and a tool to make sure every ballot is counted correctly. And that's this month's final round. Thank you for joining us today for our September 2022 RCV Clips episode produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to the show for the latest episodes and updates. Please take a minute to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center and Ranked Choice Voting, check out our website at www.rcvresources.org. The production of this podcast is supported by the generosity of our donors. Donations can be made directly to, on the website or by texting Donate RCV, all one word, to 51555. Please don't hesitate to contact us with any donation questions at donate at rcvresources.org. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RCV Resources and on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Our theme music is Flutter Bee by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Rosemary on behalf of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. <laughs>